0: Hi there, it's Jeremy here. Welcome to a very special episode today. I'm just pausing our journey together through the Gospel of Luke for just one day to give you a free episode of my new podcast which starts next weekend, A History of the Christian Church. You can listen to it here, but what I'd much prefer you to do is to follow the link to the com and go and listen to it over there. That way, you'll be able to subscribe to it so that you'll never miss another single episode because it's a standalone separate podcast to my main ministry, which is the Bible Project Daily Podcast. I hope you enjoy the new podcast. It's meant to be a reach out. It's going to appear in the history sections of directories or podcast directories rather than in in the religion directories. That way, I hope it reaches people who are at the moment outside the church because of their interest in history, which is actually a much larger section, a much larger genre within the podcast world than religion. So thanks for joining me. Enjoy the the episode, but why not go over there and subscribe to it and make sure you never miss another single episode. So bye-bye for now. Hi friends, welcome to a new podcast, A History of the Christian Church, subtitled The 2000 Years of Christian Thought. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 1. The plan is for this podcast to launch as a standalone individual podcast and episodes will drop, well, whenever I'm able. The idea is I'm launching them here today with episode one in the hope that you will find them interesting enough to support them to enable further episodes to come. Hopefully allow this podcast to become self-sustaining by people wanting to pay forward for new episodes and doing that either through Patreon or through buzzsprout.com. It's a vision I've had for a while to do a history of the church since I first studied it over 30 years ago and it will happen, the speed at which it will happen, and the method will only be determined by the level of interest that there is. This is, I consider, a secondary Christian ministry alongside my main one, which is the Bible Project Daily Podcast. If there isn't enough interest, or support for it to become a standalone podcast. It will just be dropped in occasionally as bonus episodes at the weekend and to patrons and things like that instead of actually being a standalone podcast. But I'm launching out today in faith that enough of you will be interested to want to support it to get these things up and running in the hope that the ongoing costs after that. The Keep Episodes coming will come through a few good-natured folk who want to ensure that this type of teaching is out there, available and free on the internet. It's a history of the Christian church. It's going to be told from my perspective, which of course is as a Bible-based evangelical Christian who comes, emerged out of a reformed Protestant tradition but I hope and trust you'll think I give a fair shake of the stick to all the perspectives. So welcome to Season 1, The History of the Church. In Season 1 we're going to tell the story of the Church through the lives and the thinking of its greatest thinkers from AD 1 to AD 500. My long-term planning suggests, Lord willing, that this will probably be seven or eight seasons long, bringing us eventually right up to the present day. So in this podcast series, we embark on an amazing journey through the annals of time, exploring the transformation of the very earliest Christian church. Well, in season one, through this pivotal period from its emergence and the momentous changes it goes through to around AD 500. I'm your host. My name is Jeremy McCandless. And throughout this opening season, I plan like the others to delve into the lives and thoughts of the Christianity's greatest thinkers and witness the evolution from what was a small persecuted minority emerging out of a Jewish tradition in a Greek dominated Gentile culture to what would become almost the prevailing force idea in the world by AD 500. Welcome to a history of the Christian church. the first century Christian church, it was just a fledgling, fragile community, relying on the first-hand accounts of, first of all, Christ himself, then those who witnessed that life, and then passed down through apostolic witnesses. The Gospels and what we call the letters, the epistles, had not even at this stage been formed into a canon, which we today call the New Testament, and the church's structure and worship was fluid, mirroring the diverse scenes that we saw depicted in the Bible, in the book of Acts, which is really the history of the very earliest Christians at that time. But if we fast forward to AD 500, the landscape has transformed dramatically. Christianity has become the official religion of the Roman Empire, with church-style buildings dotted across the horizon. The scriptures are now composed of the Old and the New Testament and the foundations of what would be called Christian Orthodoxy have been established. However, this whole process, this whole view of this history comes with great challenges. You see, the church had to grapple for the implications of aligning with the state and the formalization of their practices and existing within the society that they were in at that time. Two pivotal moments, I believe, define the era. The first is in AD 70, where we witnessed the destruction in Jerusalem of the temple by the Romans, shifting the power dynamics from the church being a predominantly Jewish-based sect to something that would spread out and flourish among the wider Gentile community. The second turning point, I believed, occurred in 312, as Emperor Constantine declares his conversion and elevates Christianity from what is effectively been a persecuted minority to it becoming the official state religion. So as the church gradually began to embrace its newfound societal status, concerns obviously arose. Superficial conversions, of course, led to moral decline, and the once persecuted church now faced the temptation of becoming the oppressor and the persecutor of others. The intertwining of church and state brought forth challenges that would shape the course of Christian history. So, join us today as we explore the profound impact of these turning points in this Season 1 and we're going to meet the influential figures who have navigated the changing currents of events and cultures around them. From the apostolic struggles through AD 100 to the establishment of what can only be described as a Christian Europe. Our journey through Season 1 will unravel the threads of this history, revealing the complex tapestry of the early Christian Church. So buckle up friends and get ready to witness the story of Christ's message, Christianity's story unfolding before your very ears. This is a history of the Christian Church, AD 1-500, Season 1, Episode 1. of concluding our first episode together, I'm just going to give you a few insights into Greek philosophy and the culture into which Christianity was first seen to emerge. It's worth noting that the early Christian fathers were primarily Gentile Greeks or Romans. So as these guys grappled with their Christian beliefs and conveyed them to their contemporaries, they had to connect these teachings, of course, with the prevailing thought patterns of the society in which they lived, which in that day was specifically Greek philosophy. There were three main philosophical schools at that time that influenced these earliest Christian writers. There was Platonism, founded not surprisingly by Plato, a student of Socrates himself who died in 399, and then there was the school of Aristotle founded by Plato's pupil Aristotle, and then finally Stoicism emerged, founded primarily by a guy called Zeno. Now, While these Greek schools of thought maintained distinct ideas, they had specifically and significantly influenced each other by the early Christian era. And by the second century, when the church was emerging more, many Greeks in the culture of that time held a blend of Platonism, Aristotle, Stoicism, all merged together, but with definitely Platonism being the dominant influence. In the third century, actually a modified form of Platonism, known as Neoplatonism, emerged, introduced by figures like Amarmus Sacacus and Plontius. Neoplatonism emphasized the ultimate transcendence of God and briefly served as a sort of pagan alternative to the idea of monotheism and the growing Christian faith. It also had a lasting impact on the Christian thinkers who wrestled with it in the fourth century onwards. You see, central to both Plato and Aristotle was the concept of being and becoming. In an ever changing world, everything they saw underwent transformation or you might say decay. Nothing remained constant. It was always evolving and changing. Plato, however, posited that the existence of something outside of that, an external and unchanging realm, one in contrast to the worlds of constant change in which ordinary humans lived. Plato's doctrine of ideas exemplifies this. There was, he says, an eternal unchanging idea in form and individual human beings were mere reflections of this timeless idea and the duality of these realms was influential in early Christian thought. The relationship between the idea of man and us humans, Plato likened us to impression made by a gold seal on a piece of wax. The real image is on the seal, it is not the wax impressions. Reality exists in the eternal, unchanging realm, while our ever-changing world is merely a shadow, a reflection, an imitation of that true reality that lay behind. Now, by the Christian era, Greek philosophy had expanded on these ideas of Plato and Aristotle, emphasising that there must be the existence of one supreme Transient being. This philosophical monotheism, as opposed to religious monotheism, presented an apparent point of connection for early Christian apologists. However, a dilemma arose out of this situation. The Greek God, being unchangeable and belonging to the realm of being, could not, under their thinking, directly interact with this ever changing world, or even, for that matter, experience emotions. The early Christian thinkers grappled with these contradictions between Greek thought and the biblical concepts of of which Christianity was emerging. Since the Greek god couldn't directly engage with the world, the Greeks then recognized that a mediator was indeed needed. Greek thought commonly referred to this mediating power sort of as a principle, which they called the logos, which meant reason and word. Now this idea of the logos and there being one true deity with the word as a mediator of course we see echoed in the text of john chapter one this is the background he's writing into and this is how he uses to create a point of connection with the greek world however challenges arose in doing this the word you see that was not required in any way to deal with sin because God couldn't be seen to interact directly with this constantly changing, ever-changing world, fallen world if you like, sinful world. Additionally the Greek word logos was completely distinct from God and in a sense was inferior to God himself leading to a denial of deity itself lying within the world and this was the challenge faced By these very early Christians, really all the way through, and particularly in the fourth century, as we'll come across. You see, Greek thought had a negative view of everything temporal, this world as changing. They considered all of it, all of creation, as inferior to the deity from the pre existing matter. The world, according to Greek philosophy, couldn't, in a sense, directly be a creation of the supreme God. The Greek philosophical approach to the world was often cold and an aesthetic. Philosophers sought to transcend the material world and escape it as a way of getting closer to and understanding God. A sentiment that still is present today in certain Christian and other philosophical movements. Now this idea of course resonated with New Testament thought on a level, but the motivation for seeking God was of course fundamentally different. Early Greek philosophers disliked this material world because of its the very fact that it was changing in nature. For them concepts like the resurrection of the body actually stood in stark contrast and opposition to the very core of Greek thought, a challenge which was evidenced in Paul's experience in Athens when he debates the philosophers underneath the Parthenon as described in Acts 17. You see, Greek philosophy viewed humans as essentially twofold, body and soul. That appears okay on the surface, doesn't it? But it was the body that belonged to the ever-changing world and was driven by this ever-changing transient will. On the other hand, the soul was considered a divine spark, separate from and living in the eternal world of being, existing from the beginning. Similar in a sense to how the divine word or logos controlled the universe, the body was indwelt and controlled by this sort of miniature lower god, the logos or the word, the reason and the soul. According to Greek thought, the true essence of a person is the soul and the body for them was just like a house, a set of clothes in which the person resides. Some would even describe the body as a tomb or a prison of the soul. The ultimate destiny of this immortal soul was seen through liberation from the body, but in their terms, in Greek terms, that led to the deification of man, of humanity, making them, if you like, God, which for them meant destroying, putting aside the complete absence of all feelings and emotions, which means the natural end of Greek philosophy, it seems, would be stoicism. While Greek thought approach comes close, and I'm sure as I read this you can see that some of the aspects of this are shockingly close to biblical Christianity, they remained fundamentally different. The Greeks, yes, they embraced monotheism, but their conception of an immutable, impassable God contradicted the idea of the God in the Bible who was a God who created us but who loved us emotionally and also experienced suffering and shared in our suffering and ultimately in Christ became human, an idea which is an absolute anathema to pure Greek thought. Greek thought spoke of a mediating word, but this concept fells way short of this comprehensive biblical portrayal of Christ as God's Son. While both philosophies, both schools, at that time recognized that there was something amiss in the world, the Greek attributed the core problem for humanity, of humanity to change, rather than in any way disobedience or any accountability to a personal God. Christianity, through acknowledging humanity's need for salvation, was the core, whereas Greek thought envisaged it differently, entirely differently from the Christian thought. And it was this society, this background, that the early Christian fathers were challenged to find ways to articulate Christianity, their Christian faith, in the light of the Greek heritage and the society in which they live. They needed to express it in Greek terms without distorting its true meaning, its core, its essence. And to a large extent they succeeded, and Greek thought gradually became intertwined and superseded With Christian thought. During this transformation elements of Greek thought that were contrary to Christianity were gradually being removed from these societies. However, it's worth noting that this exchange was not wholly one-sided. Christianity also came to be viewed to some extent through a Greek lens. Some aspect of the Greek approach that opposed biblical Christianity remained unaffected. For instance, the idea of a personal God was still deemed impossible by a great many of the intellectuals of the day, and aestheticism continued to be the base of their perceived worldview, reached, well ultimately, through a stoic, a non-emotional view of the world. So while we can look at this early history, the very earliest history of the church and its emergence, we have to acknowledge that the outcome is not entirely without its flaws. But we do need to recognize the fact that these early church fathers, they were humans. And we should not diminish the substantial achievements they had in spreading the worldview into a culture entirely dominated with Greek thinking. That was the overarching view of every aspect of society at that time. And we have to acknowledge the complexity of that historical process and bringing Christianity into that hierarchical process. The massive intellectual journey that these guys embarked on, on bringing the gospel of Christ to the ordinary man and woman in the street at that time. A process just as complicated, just as different that we still continue to this day. The background may have changed but the challenge remains the same. Okay, I hope you find that helpful. A little look into the background into which the church and indeed Christ himself would emerge. Next week we'll begin a look at what is called the Apostolic Fathers. The beginning of the church, of course, is recorded for us in Acts and if you want to do that pre-church work, why not work through the season that will be it hearing soon in the Bible Project podcast when I'll work entirely through the book of Acts but next episode in our history of the church I'm going to consider the Apostolic Fathers named that way because these are the guys who actually knew the Apostles themselves knew the people who knew Jesus and were taught by them and the three Apostolic Fathers I'll be looking at in the next episode are a guy called Clement another guy called Ignatius, and someone called Polycarp. So I hope you found it helpful. I hope you're going to enjoy our journey together. If you'd like to ensure there's other episodes, why not consider supporting this podcast series by either connecting through buzzstripe.com or go over and visit me. Follow the link to Patreon where you'll find a way that you can not only support this ministry, but you can connect to me personally. So that's it for today. Thank you for joining me, and I'll say bye bye for now.